Thank you, Tim. Uh, Before we uh, consider God's word uh, further, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this historical account of uh, what happened when Jesus confronted this man who was possessed by these evil spirits. As we reflect on what it reveals to us and the wider teaching of your word on the, uh, the reality and nature of evil in this world and Satan and his forces, but also the power and the work of Jesus, we pray that we would be encouraged to move forward, uh, confident in the, the power and the protection of Christ uh, in this world. On our Christian journey, we pray. Amen. It had been one of the longest nights of their lives. Several of the disciples were experienced fishermen, and yet they had never seen a squall blow up so quickly and so violently. The other disciples had correctly read the look of fear in their eyes, and they had drawn the logical conclusion. They probably weren't going to make it. And yet now... That fear of death had been replaced by a different fear, the fear of the unknown. In the midst of the storm, Jesus had uttered one simple command, be still, and the natural elements had obeyed him. The wind and the waves had become instantly calm. Who is this man sitting in the boat with them? This man had a power like no other man in history. This man had the power of God. They climbed out of the boat on the other side of the lake, confused, wet and tired. They were ready for a rest. Yet as they tied the boats up, they were greeted with the most awful, vicious, howling scream. At first they thought it was an animal, but then they saw an approaching figure, naked, wild with terrible lacerations all over his body. As he neared them, they could see his wild rolling eyes and dripping saliva. At the disciples, they bravely stood their ground in a tight-knit group behind Jesus. But before the man could reach them, Jesus spoke to him in a calm but firm tone. Come out of this man, you evil spirit. But the man continued to approach, and falling on his knees before Jesus, cried out with anguish, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. Ignoring this, Jesus looked him in the eye and asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. The disciples were startled by the change of voice. Please don't send us into the abyss. Send us into the pigs. Allow us to go into them, said the voice. And the man pointed with his bony finger towards a huge herd of 2,000 pigs feeding on a nearby hillside. Jesus' voice ran out clear and strong. Go! And with a shriek, the man fell to the ground in convulsions and writhing like a snake for what seemed like an eternity. And then he stopped moving. At first, the disciples thought he was dead. 
But then his eyes opened, and his eyes were peaceful. And the man smiled, and tears of bewildered joy welled up in his eyes for the first time in many years. Uh, Meanwhile, a deafening roar arose from the herd of pigs, squealing and screeching as they became frenzied. And suddenly the herd started stampeding down the slope and continued on and plunged into the lake, foaming the water with their writhing bodies. Gradually, the amount of activity in the water lessened until all became calm. 2,000 pigs' bodies floating on the surface, dead. Again, the disciples felt that not in their stomachs, a mixture of fear and amazement. Their minds were still trying to come to terms with all that they had witnessed in these last few hours. This man, who is he? He not only has authority over nature, but even over the unseen evil spiritual forces. Who is this man? Not only do the wind and the waves obey him, so do the evil spirits. That day, we see a dramatic and very stark encounter between Jesus and evil. And it is very stark. But what we want to do this morning is reflect on what it tells us about evil, about Satan's work in this world, but also the power and the work of Christ. What we're going to do is this. I'll give you a brief roadmap as where we're going to go. Firstly, we're going to think about the reality and the work of Satan in the world. Secondly, we're going to think about the power and the work of Christ in this world. And then thirdly, we're going to think about, so, how now should we live in the light of these two facts? So firstly, uh, the reality and the work of Satan in this world. Uh, When we look at this instance, uh, and also the wider teaching of Scripture, we are reminded that evil is a very real force, and that Satan himself is a very real entity that is out here. Now, um, as Tim's already alluded to, uh, in our Western society here in Australia, in many ways, Satan doesn't maybe seem to be that evident in terms of his work in our society. Uh, But if you go to a society like PNG, uh, or many other countries where they have a, a heightened level of general spiritual awareness in the society, in those cultures and those countries, uh, the work of Satan can be all too evident in terms of the very dramatic impact he has on people's lives, in terms of particularly possession and the destruction which comes from that. But in our society, in this Western society, really, Satan seems to be a little bit under the radar of most Western people. Uh, I remember one time in London, um, a plumber came round to the house I was staying at. Uh, he was doing the job, and I just got chatting to him. And we got talking about the state of the world, and I thought, well, this is an opportunity to uh, talk about the gospel, but I thought, how do I, um, how do I take it on from here? And so I thought, I'll ask him this question and test the waters. So I said to him, 
do you believe in a devil? Do you believe in a devil? And he said to me, that's a very interesting question. I'd never actually thought of that. He said, I've often thought about, do I believe in a God? But I'd never thought, do I believe in a devil? And it got him thinking. And so it is with many people in our society. In a way, the devil sneaks under the radar, especially in the West. Uh, and therefore, it just doesn't seem to matter to many people. They don't really think much about him. And that really serves Satan's purposes very well indeed. Because it means, hey, he is free to get on with his work without people being on their guard. Another thing we notice uh, is not only is Satan a real entity, but also, uh, in some ways, which people ignore, but in some ways, uh, he's become domesticated in our society. Uh, I read this book um, by Peter Bolt. Peter Bolt is a, uh, a lecturer at Moore Theological College in Sydney, the Anglican Training College. Uh, and the, the book is Living with the Underworld. I found it very helpful in framing my sort of uh, framework within which to uh, use in this sermon. One of the things he talks about in this book, and one of the observations he makes, is that in our Western society, the devil has become somewhat domesticated. Uh, I quote for you uh, from his book. He says this. Uh, Various practices traditionally associated with the devil have now entered the mainstream. Uh, Horoscopes and occult practices, once regarded as satanic, now litter the popular magazines as a bit of fun. Uh, Spells, both good and evil, can be purchased on the internet. Witches strive to be recognized as offering a legitimate religious service. So, the reality of Satan. Uh, He is there, although many people miss that in our Western society. Uh, The second thing we notice about Satan, not only is he a real force, but he is a malevolent force. Uh, Each of the Bible's names for the master of the underworld reveals his twisted character and his warped work. Think about them. Uh, Do you know what Satan means? It actually means adversary or enemy. And that is it. Satan is the adversary and enemy of God. He opposes God and everything good in the world which God has made. Do you know what the word devil means? Uh, It means slanderer and false accuser. And that is another way that the devil functions in the world. He's a slanderer and a false accuser. Another name used for him in the Bible is the tester. He is the one who puts human beings under great destructive pressure. Another term used in the Bible, the deceiver. The one who deceives and leads people astray. He's also referred to as the murderer from the beginning, the one who delights to bring death and destruction. And of course, what do we see in our evening news? The imprint of his work in the world is there for all to see. And therefore, you could summarize it as his work is, and the imprint of his work is is death, fear, and slavery. He's the master of death and destruction. Uh, In the demoniac, that poor guy, that day, we glimpse the destruction that Satan had wrought in his life. 
And that is the work that Satan seeks to do in the world and in people. He's out to really destroy everything good that God has made. Uh, We know, don't we? Uh, Human beings are made in the image of God. And yet Satan is committed to defacing that image. Uh, The forces of evil, what is their modus operandi? Uh, They're out to scar and to mar, to distort and to degrade the image of God in people's characters and their lives. So, his hallmark is death and destruction. His hallmark is also fear. He uses the weapon of fear to achieve his purposes. And his hallmark is not only death, fear, but also slavery. He seeks to enslave people and to control them to his own destructive ends. So, we've thought firstly about the reality and the work of Satan. Uh, Let's now move on to secondly think about the power and the work of Jesus. Uh, Jesus' arrival in the world unleashes a counter-reaction from the underworld because they know that Jesus has come to take them on. Jesus has come into the world to confront and to do battle with Satan and his forces. Uh, The evil spirits, uh, they knew who Jesus was, and they feared him at the very upfront. We saw it on our passage today. They say, what do you want with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture us. We see in the gospel accounts that they are all too aware that Jesus, is the Son of God, is now encroaching onto their turf. He was mounting a challenge to their presence and to their work in the world, and they don't like it, and they are threatened by Jesus and his very presence. Now, it's important to remember that Christ's battle with Satan and his forces It's not a battle between forces of almost equal strength and power. Uh, If you want to uh, use the clever word for that at parties, it's actually called dualism. Uh, Dualism is not correct. Now, when I was a kid, um, I read a very popular uh, Christian book called This Present Darkness. I don't know if you've ever come across any of the writings of uh, Frank Peretti. Um, Christian novel, uh, racy, uh, enjoyable, very exciting read, but... um, What it does is these novels sort of um, reveal what is going on in the unseen spiritual world, and they sort of give you that view of what's happening, the spiritual forces that rage all around us. Very good read, very enjoyable, but misleading. Misleading. And it's misleading because Peretti presents the, the battle between God and the devil as being a sort of a fight where everything hangs in the balance and we're not quite sure which way it's going to go. It's like two equal and opposite forces locked in battle together. That is not correct. What do we see in the power of Jesus when he confronts this man who is possessed by these demons? It's not a battle of equals. Jesus has supreme authority over them. All he has to say is one word. Go. And they, they have to obey. They have to go. It's then interesting to ask the question, 
So, if Jesus has such supreme authority over evil, why doesn't he simply say, go, now, or then? Why didn't he simply cleanse the whole world of evil and banish it once and for all? Why doesn't he use that authority to cleanse the world with a word? Uh, Why does he need to go to the cross? Well, uh, on that day by the lake, Jesus could have banished Satan and all his forces to the abyss for all time. But the point is, he would also have had to banish all of humanity as well. You see, before Jesus goes to the cross, all of humanity is effectively allied with Satan. The problem is, the evil isn't just out there. The evil is in our hearts. And you could say, without the cross, we are all children of the devil. And then to use the metaphor of gardening, if you're a gardener, for God to have pulled up the weeds of Satan and his forces, it would have also resulted in God pulling up the wheat of his children. Prior to the cross, Satan and humanity were inextricably bound together. Now, you could say, and this is nothing offensive to lawyers present, but you could say that Satan was a legal expert. Uh, He knew the law. Uh, He knew God's law. He was very aware that God was bound by his own moral code and his own moral character. And Satan knew that, therefore, in a sense, he had God's law on his side. And he could use God's law to his own destructive purposes. Uh, Romans 5 summarizes it beautifully, verse 12. It says this, Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all men and women because all sinned. Therein is Satan's power over people. You see, therein is the revelation of the power he has. He holds all of humanity enslaved in his dark dominion. All of us have sinned. All of us therefore deserve death. And he knows that God has to be just. God has to punish sin. And therefore, he's got humanity exactly where he wants them. But what he didn't foresee is what Christ would do on the cross. And it must have been with a sense of horror that the devil and his forces look on as the penny finally drops, as that man is there crucified and the life is draining out of him. And as the man on the cross utters those words, it is finished, and Satan goes, what is finished? And then he realizes what has happened. It's the masterstroke. God the Son has provided the legal way for justice to be done but for God's children to be protected. God the Son has taken on Himself the legal punishment for sin which is in every human heart. And God Himself has therefore provided a way for the law to be satisfied, for justice to be done, but for people to be forgiven. And the devil looks on and he sees his power and his hold over humanity draining away. He has been disarmed like a serpent who have his fangs removed. 
We see it's beautifully summarized in Colossians 2, verse 13. Speaking of the work of Christ on the cross, it says this. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code, in other words, God's law, with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. There it is, you see. Jesus, through his work on the cross, has disarmed the satanic powers on authorities. Their legal power and their legal hold over us has been drained away. And whilst Satan is still present in the world, you could say his obituary has already been written. Because we know that ultimately now his fate has been decided. God has won the battle over him. Satan is allowed a time now until Jesus returns to continue his, his operations, but it's just like a force that is beaten but in retreat. You may remember back in Genesis chapter 3 when humanity first rebels against God. What is the promise that God makes? It's very interesting and it's, it's veiled, but we now see it very clearly because God at that point talks of a descendant of Adam and Eve whose heel will be bruised, but will ultimately crush the head of the serpent. A bit obscure at the time, but now we can see what it means. Yes, the descendants of Adam was Jesus. His heel was bruised in the sense that he died on the cross, but it wasn't a fatal wound. He was raised back to life. And yet, and yet... Jesus will crush the head of the serpent. When will he do that? Finally, when Jesus returns. When he renovates the whole of this creation. When he banishes the forces of evil once and for all. When he utters that word again, go! And on that day, Satan and all his forces will be banished forever to what the Bible calls the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So, we thought firstly about uh, the reality and the work of Satan in the world. Uh, secondly, we thought about the power and the work of Christ, which is wonderful. Let's draw it all together and now think about, thirdly, how should we now live? Do you see what the de Jesus' death on the cross means? People now have a way out of death, fear, and slavery the work of Satan. Uh, the one who is the murderer from the beginning has now been conquered by what, the author of life, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And anybody who puts their trust in Christ is immediately transferred. Uh, look at Colossians 1 verse 13. Speaking of God's wonderful work through Christ. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness 
and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. That's Christ's work, to rescue us from the dominion of darkness, from the dominion of death, fear, and slavery, and to bring us into the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom, which is the complete opposite, the kingdom of life, of assurance, and of freedom. What do we have to do to transfer kingdoms? Say to Jesus, please, sort out my legal problem. I stand convicted under God's law. I am a sinner. I need to be forgiven. Please, Jesus, forgive me. And when a person does that, the moment they do that, they're transferred from the dominion of darkness, from death, fear, and slavery, and a lost eternity to the wonderful kingdom of the Son, the kingdom of life, eternal life, of assurance and of freedom. And therefore, the question that each person needs to ask is simply this, have I said to Jesus, please, sort out my legal problem, rescue me? Have I asked Christ to take the legal punishment that was my due? Because the reality is this, each of us is powerless to save ourselves, but Jesus is supremely powerful to save each of us. And then moving on. Uh, when we have put our trust in Christ, how then should we live then? Well, until Christ returns, Satan still does operate in this world. Uh, until Christ returns, uh, God has granted Satan leeway to continue operating in the world, but only so far as God allows. And therefore, for now, there is still a spiritual conflict which continues. Uh, Satan is ultimately defeated, but he is fighting a rearguard action. And therefore, there is an unseen spiritual battle that rages around every Christian. That passage in Ephesians 6, which we're familiar with, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you see where that points us? As Christians, we need to be aware of the spiritual battle that is going on around us. But we must be careful not to fall off either side of a horse. Let me explain. Uh, there are two extremes by which each is unhealthy as a Christian, and we need to get a, not be guilty of either of them and not fall prey to either of them. The first is this. Uh, we shouldn't ignore Satan. Uh, Satan is a real and an active foe. Satan will try and trick Christians. Satan will try and trip up Christians. Satan will try and divide congregations. Satan will work through gossip and slander to destroy relationships. Satan is a real and an active foe in the world. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says this, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
looking for someone to devour. So, there's the first danger for Christians. Don't ignore the devil. But we can fall off the other side of the horse, because on the other hand, we should not give the devil such recognition that we become obsessed with him and fearful of him. Now, um, as you probably know, if you move in Christian circles, over the last 30 years or so, uh, interest in the devil in some Christian circles and some churches has risen dramatically. Uh, some elements of the charismatic movement, well, as it's called, uh, have revived uh, the practice of exorcism, and sadly this has led to a, a weird, uh, what's called deliverance ministries, and in many Christian churches where this happens, what you see is real fear, fear of Satan and the evil forces. What is the hallmark of Satan? Death, fear, and slavery. What is the hallmark of Christ's kingdom? Life, assurance, and freedom. So, that other extreme is equally destructive, and fear is one of Satan's weapons, and he will try and use it in the church where he can. So, how should we respond as Christians to Satan? Uh, Satan, uh, he works through very ordinary means. Uh, Satan's work is not usually in your face. It's not as evident as it was that day with the, the guy who had all the demons in him. Satan uses the circumstances and the opportunities of our everyday lives to lead us astray and to trip us up. Uh, here's my second uh, book reference of the day, uh, an older one now, The Screw Tape Letters, uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, you can see by the smile on some of your faces that uh, some of you are aware of this and probably read it. Um, written by C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's quite a, uh, an insightful book. Uh, it's written from the perspective of a, uh, what he refers to as a, a senior devil writing to a junior devil with a small d. Uh, and uh, each, uh, it's a, a series of letters where this senior devil is trying to instruct the junior devil as to how to effectively uh, discourage and trip up Christians. Uh, and lots of interesting little insights about how Satan works in people's everyday lives to try and trip them up and discourage them as Christians. I commend it to you. To you. Therefore, uh, let me close with a few encouragements from Scripture as to how we can do battle with Satan. Uh, James 4 verse 7 says this, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist him. How do we resist the devil? Uh, do we, like in some of these deliverance ministries, go down the path of confronting him indirectly, uh, exorcising spirits, all that sort of stuff? The answer to that question is this, is, is, in, uh, is in the Bible itself. When we look at the New Testament letters, they tell us how we should live. The New Testament letters are all, if you like, telling Christians, this is the gospel and this is how you should now live in the light of the gospel. Do you ever see in the New Testament letters any exhortation to Christians to exercise evil spirits? No, you don't. But in the New Testament letters, there are plenty of encouragements for Christians to live out the gospel in their lives and trust in Christ uh, in their everyday lives. 
using the weapons that God makes available. Ephesians 6 again, uh, verse 13. Therefore, uh, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows, arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. The Bible does not call us to confront Satan directly. Christ has done that for us. Resisting Satan involves living, spirit-filled, Christ-trusting, joyful, obedient lives. Just to unpack that briefly, resisting Satan firstly involves having our lives saturated with God's Word. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And therefore, I ask each of you, is the Word of God dwelling in you richly? Secondly and practically, and we see it in that Ephesians passage, resisting Satan involves being intentionally prayerful. 1 Peter 4 verse 7 also says, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Are you giving prayer the priority it calls for? And finally, Resisting Satan involves a life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells every Christian believer. 1 John 4. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Are you keeping in step with God's Spirit in your heart? Or are you resisting the Spirit's call and the Spirit's challenge? Satan's pattern, it's death, fear, and slavery. But Christ's pattern is life, assurance, and freedom. Let us thank God now for Christ's wonderful work in the world. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful work of Christ in the world. Thank you for all that means for us delivered from the dominion of death, eternal death, of fear, and of slavery, and brought into the kingdom of your Son, Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gives us life, assurance, peace in our hearts, and great and wonderful freedom. Help us, we pray, each of us to live under Christ's wonderful rule, through trusting in his death for us on the cross. And help us each then live out that life engaging in the spiritual battle with the weapons that you make available for us to do so, and going forth in the power of your Spirit and your Word. Amen.